This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to the guy you guys want to hear from today uh, and introduce uh, your new head football coach, Josh Heupel. I thank the, uh, the players and the, the staff at, uh, at UCF. Um, last three years have been a tremendous uh, journey, a uh, tremendous ride. I appreciate them uh, allowing me uh, as their coach to be a part of their individual journey and uh, accomplish so many great things. So proud of who and what we were uh, as a program. So excited to see their success this year. Uh, just great leadership inside the locker room. And when you have great leadership from within, uh, all things are possible. And uh, appreciate each and every one of them. Oh, say it ain't so, gentlemen. Say it ain't so. Danny White introducing Josh Heupel as the head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. What is happening? What do you what What are you late to the party? What are you sleep for the last thirty six hours? What is happening here? No, I'm not late to the party. I've been I've been all over Twitter with this whole thing, just like the rest of you guys. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez. Sorry for the late show. We uh, well, we had a lot going on on Wednesday night, uh, including a uh, including our uh, uh, night shift program, and yes, I mean we, we've we've talked about it. That's the big story, and we're leading with. It. We got a lot to talk about. We'll talk about basketball. We're going to talk about um, the uh, the Olympic sports getting underway. But the bottom line is, here we are. I mean, it's it's Danny White introducing Josh Eiple as the new head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers. And we find ourselves exactly where we were some five years and two months ago, Murph. No athletic director, no head football coach. It was all just so bizarre. Um, but the, the, Murph, I want to start with you. The reaction uh, from you know, within UCF circles and the people that you've talked to, what are they feeling right now? I mean, we know that everyone was pretty... You know, it was was pretty shocked and surprised and a little saddened by Danny White leaving because of, you know, how much he's done for the program. But uh, is that the same case with Josh Heupel? I don't know. I think I think some, there's some fans who are like, boy, they don't know how much of a favor they did us, which is just so like, you know, I don't know. Snark- yeah, I don't <laughs> love that mindset. I mean, it's not like, you know, 28 and 8 is something you can just scoff at. If uh, he wins the SEC East two of the next three years, I mean, you know, are we going to be saying that? Uh, you know. Well, he won't do that. There's no way because that program is going to be hamstrung for a while, which is part of the deal. But, I mean, look, if anybody wants to know my opinion on this, you can just go back to yesterday. I mean, Eric talked it out for about 90 minutes, but we really haven't gotten your comments on the record, Jeff. So what do you process? Put him on the spot. How are All you right. about this? Um, well, I think I told you guys before this all went down, I said I would have been more surprised. I would have been more surprised if Josh Heupel left than if Danny White left. And lo and behold, I was more surprised. But from the reactions that I've seen on social media from, you know, it, it just I, I you you guys know me. I like to go right to the try and get as close to the primary sources as we can, which is the players. And the overwhelming reaction from the players was, okay, we'll, we'll be fine. We're, we're fine. It's perfectly all right with us. 
Um, now, I think some of that stems from the competitive nature of a lot of the players where they're like, hey, all right, you want to leave us? Like, and which, I, which I can see too, right? Like if I was in their position, I'd be like, okay, you don't think we're good enough to still be around? You want to move on to some greener pastures? All right, we'll show you. And then I really do think there are quite a few players who, um, you know, especially the former players, I think their reaction was was particularly interesting because um, they were they were let's just say they weren't sad to see it. a lot of them were not all that sad to see Josh Heupel go. No, goodness gracious! They there's you know because obviously we still follow a lot of uh, of the you know the players who who were no longer here who were here two and, three years ago. And by the way, these guys. Well, well, let's also quite a few of those guys who, who reacted that way actually were here not that long ago. <laughs> right. No, exactly. Like they played for Heupel and yeah. then their reaction. I don't know. There's like there's some. Uh, there's some vindication in some parts uh, from some people like they, you know, like, oh, you didn't believe me when I was saying that this and this and this is going down. And there was trouble in the locker room and ever. But I don't know people people feeling pretty high, pretty up, uh, high on, up on their high horse right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I was I was uh, I I was a little surprised at the intensity of that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But fast forward it to today. One day later, and here we are in the middle of this, uh, it, it, of a Twitter, of a one-day Twitter campaign, maybe longer, I don't know, but but at least a one-day Twitter campaign over the last twenty-four hours, a bunch of former and current players tweeting their support for Jeff Levy uh, to try and to try <laughs> to making their voices heard that they want him to be. The next head coach. Now we're far afield of that. I mean, right now UCF still. Has Are you sure? Are you like, sure? I mean, I thought I thought it was a done deal. No, it's not done. Not on the plane. He's not on a plane over I, here. I, I mean, I thought listen, the players called. Nobody, him. nobody loves you know airplane related intrigue more than me with with my bookcase full of airplane books. But the plane ain't leaving Knoxville or, or Ole Miss wherever the heck Oxford, he is. Oxford, whatever. Listen, so no, wait, hold on now. I got a friend who works at Old Miss 247. He told me there was a poster. He said, I sent you guys the post where a pool guy wrote in their message board that he was scheduled to work Jeff Levy's pool. The pool boy, and, Jeff Levy's pool boy. Says yeah, and, and now it's been postponed for seven. Huh? Huh? Postponed. Smoke. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. All right. That's all we got, boys. Really, That's all we got. Really going really going there with this. get ready get ready we're going we're gonna have two weeks of this stuff until we have a head coach oh in deep god <laughs> so I, I, listen i i like i i all that stuff aside look the process is going to play itself out i do however think that whoever is the whoever is the ad who makes this hire um they would be wise to at least reach out to him all right. Along with a bunch of other candidates who would make really good candidates. And that's the other thing that a bunch of sources in the media have been talking about, which I which I've been saying. And I think we've all known for quite some time is that there are a lot of people who want this job, both the AD job and the tech and the head coaching job. There's no shortage of candidates. <laughs> yes. You're right. We, no, you're we, right. We've we've run through those candidates both in yeah. print and on video. Night shift. If you, you go to our YouTube those, page, night shift. Yeah, subscribe to our YouTube page and you can watch night shift. And and as Murph was also saying, make sure you hop on blackandgoldbanneret.com to check out our list of potential AD candidates and our list of head coaching candidates, which we put together in very short order. And I wanted to, by the way, 
huge shout out to both of you guys and also to Andrew Glukov for um, for pulling all that together so quickly and Danny really Medina. interesting. Danny, Danny Medina, Medina also helped us out. Too. I mean, a I, team, team effort here. Yes, huge team effort this week. And this is this is one of those times when, like, I know that the fans really are counting on us to come through, right? And big props to you guys. Danny was huge in helping us behind the scenes. I, I cannot thank her enough. Um, all of you guys have just been just awesome. Jeremy so, Brenner helped out. He would have helped out more, but he's unfortunately his Houston Texans franchise is just an absolute embarrassment. So, you know. Well, I heard he was I heard he was uh he was in front of uh Deshaun Watson's house trying to beg him. <laughs> That's today. probably true. Uh, but, guy. uh but yeah, I, I so so let's let's for the moment. All right, we know obviously Jeff Levy's going to be a candidate, right? Like I, I think, well, well, I guess it'd be better. Okay. I mean, I, at the very okay, at the very least, someone's making that call. <laughs> someone's calling him up. Well, but so, I think you bring up, but I think you you make you mentioned this, and I think it's important to remind people of this. The AD hire has to happen first. Yes. Like that's who. Like I know that I love you know that's great that they show the support for Jeff Levy. That I get it. He's their guy. I'm. You know, I'm sure Jeff reached out to a few of them to kind of start that, which, hey, if I was in, I wanted a job, that's what I would do. However, uh, there's one problem. The search hasn't even started for the AD. And that's really the more, and honestly, and I hope people might find this confusing, but the AD hire is a lot more important than the football coach. Because if you don't get the AD right, then odds are it's not going to matter who the football coach is because it's probably not going to work out. So, um, I What think- are you talking about? I thought that the football coach hired the AD. Oh, that was the last guy. <laughs> That's a good line. I like that. That was George O'Leary. Uh, right. Yeah, that very good. Very good. Uh, this is good. Um, I, that's very good. And we saw how well that worked out. Um, so I think it's important that people kind of relax and calm down. It's going to be fine. All right, Aaron Rodgers. Let's <laughs> let the process play out. I'm a big process guy. And you just brought it up. This is a great uh, job. People want this job. You don't want to just limit yourself and just make an overreaction move and just, you know, hire a guy because, oh, my God, we got to do this by next tomorrow or else it's all over. No, there's plenty of guys in the AD position and the head coaching job that's attractive. So you go a search and you find out who's interested because you're going to be surprised at some of the people that are interested and maybe surprised at some people that are not. And I think you're going to get good people out of this. But we got to stop with the campaigns deal here because – we have a fan base, and I'm part of this, that's kind of been already in a bit of an emotional wreck here over the last month with everything that's left. We don't need them to get rally, you know, be set up for disappointment again. And I think that's the my concern with the whole Twitter campaign and stuff. So let's just see what happens. But I think the AD is a huge, huge, huge step first, and then the head coach will take care of itself. I've got no problem with it. I mean, the fact that the players are showing that much support, I just – there I do have a concern where, like, what if – what if for some reason, what if it does get to the point where UCF, whoever it is, is ready to hire right? and they're ready to hire, let's say they're ready to hire Jeff Levy and something doesn't work out. Right. Right. Like with the contract negotiations or something, then what? Like how, are you, how are the players going to react to that? Or maybe he doesn't and get I, hired, think, period. Right. Well, what if well, he's not I, the well, pick? Well, that's you know? what I, well, well, that's what I'm saying is. That's where it's going to be incumbent upon whoever the athletic director is to be in open and constant communication 
with those players because they are going to have to sell that person to the players one way or the other, right? It's it, it, it. Now, I'm not saying that the players have veto power because I think we all know for sure that they don't. But at the very least, they have to be in the loop. And that's something that Danny White did a very good job. Even when he hired Scott Frost, he, let, he got the players into the loop. And the players really appreciated that. And that made a huge difference, and certainly a tremendous difference compared to what we were doing dealing with the last time around. But, um, you know, whoever the new AD is should do more of the same. I think we've established that as a modus, as, as, a, as an MO, and let's keep doing that. So, Eric, you're a little bit cooler on that perspective than I am. I think there's a strong chance that they're, the players are going to meet the AD and the head coach at the same time. And I mentioned this on Night Shift with Murph. I think this is going to be a package deal. I think this is going to be real quick. Whenever the AD is hired, I think the, the head coach will not be too far behind. Well, I don't well, believe. Can they, do, can, can they do that, though? Because the guy who's hiring the AD is President Cartwright. Yeah. Now, he's not going to be able to negotiate the head coaching deal at the same time. That wink, would have wink. to be the AD. Correct. Right? right. So here's the example I would give you. So let's say. Okay, for example, you are starting this UCF website, all right? Mm-hmm. And you're and you're negotiating with me. And you're like, "Hey, I want you to be the main guy here. Who do you and you know, so we're talking about one main position. And you're like, "Who should we bring in as another guy?" Well, I know Brian Murphy. He would be a great addition to the site. But you know, obviously we're finishing our deal done, but I'm keeping Murphy in the loop so when I'm hired, you quickly go to him, and it's quickly. It's done within 24 hours. Hmm. So I think there'll be some back-channeling conversations is my point. I think that's – I don't. I think the AD, when these conversations are taking place, you better believe that one of the topics is, so who are you thinking possibly you can get to be the football coach? And I think whoever the AD candidate – Well, he that, happens to be right here. <laughs> right. Or here's my phone. Here, I'm texting him right now. I could get him on Zoom. I really do believe that is a possibility. It depends on, again, who the AD is. Let's say the AD is from somebody not internal at UCF. Let's say it's the deputy AD at Clemson. He might say, hey, I can bring Tony Elliott here. Or if it's the Louisiana AD, he might be able to bring Billy Napier in. Uh, I think it's that kind of a deal if it's from the outs- if the AD is from outside UCF. And then if it's internal, well, which one is if it's Scott Carr? Yeah, obviously Lebby's a candidate, but as I mentioned with Murph on Night Shift, he, you know where Scott Carr came from? Auburn. Auburn, that's right. He was there when Gus Malzahn was there. Mm. He could bring him in. Or Rhett Lashley, the Miami offensive coordinator, who was the offensive coordinator at Auburn under Gus Malzahn. So there's connections there, and that's kind of my point. I think whoever the AD is, I would be surprised if whoever the next AD is at UCF – and hires the football coach are not somewhat uh, connected. I really would be surprised. What do you think, Murph? I agree with all that. I wanted to sort of double back on on something that Eric brought Eric brought up and was 100% correct on about the how the fan base needs to just take a step back and, and take a breather uh, and not get too wrapped up into Twitter uh, code hacking. Uh, today has been a really <laughs> weird day. Because right, today's of, Thursday for those who are wondering we're recording Thursday. Yeah, so, so. I know I'm, I'm bad at that always, but you know, Code so hacking. because there, <laughs> there were about, there were about 30 current and former UCF players 
who lobbied for Jeff Levy today. Hashtag lobby for Levy. I'm trademarking that immediately once this podcast is done. <laughs> but, uh, and so that that raises everybody's alarm that, oh, look, all the players are really in support. Let's go get them. And Eric is completely right. Nothing can happen until they have the AD. And not only do they not have the AD, they don't have the search firm <laughs> to get the AD. So nothing is going to happen for a bit. So just please relax. Yeah. And stop tweeting President Cartwright and saying, hey, hire <laughs> Jeff Levy. He's not doing that. I'm sorry. No. He's not just, gonna- like, just like just like go out like tomorrow, like, you know, tomorrow or uh, Friday's coming up. Then it's the weekend. Like, enjoy yourself. Take a second off of Twitter. Everything will be fine. You won't miss anything. I think. We've already sort of reached the height of absurdity tonight. With with oh, Dylan don't worry, Gabriel. it'll get crazier. Oh, don't worry, it'll get bizarre. No, I don't know. This is I mean, it is the full right. moon tonight, Murph. You realize that? It's still it's still early, but but really, like tonight, like I'm just I've been laughing for the last couple hours because so Dylan bizarre. Gabriel, Dylan Gabriel has been has been retweeting uh, all of the support from every UCF former uh, former former player and current player. And so tonight, Dylan Gabriel composes a tweet. It is two sets of five dots, just five <laughs> dots, a space, and five more dots. And then all of a sudden, we have Twitter sleuths acting like late 1960s San Francisco Chronicle columnists trying to decipher a Zodiac killer message. And it makes it like, guys, I need you to calm down. Because all of a sudden, people are like, oh, it's five and five. That must stand for Coach Levy. Coach five? Levy five? It's- you guys got to stop. You guys got it. Like, please. I know it. I know we're like, you want that new head coach to come on and like start the new era, but he can't come until the AD shows up and the AD can't show up until we get somebody to look for the AD, which hasn't happened yet. (laughs) So please for your role. That's all I ask. Well, I I think that I, I, one of the reasons I think why fans are kind of in, you know, panic mode right now is because, well, well, the thing that I'm here is, well, National Signing Day is right around the corner. I'm like, no, National Signing Day was in December. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, right. that's yeah. that, that, that's not it, what it used to be. UCF. So, so UCF does have a very small amount of players that they will they will sign. Offers have still been going out, by the way. And there's there's a, at least one player that I know of who like has already signed, but. Like he doesn't want you to know about it because he wants to have like his own thing at his high school on the next signing day in February to have like you know the spotlight on him. And so like these guys have been these guys who are going to sign on signing day coming up like they've been locked up for a while and it's it's a very small amount compared to what they already signed back in December. So it's not that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> so so we wait. We wait. What do you think the timetable is? I know that from when George O'Leary resigned to when Danny White introduced Scott Frost as the new head coach, it was 37 days in the fall of 2015. Do you think it'll yeah. be short? Let, let's use that as the over-under. Do you think it'll be shorter than that this time around? Under. Under. Yeah, yeah. I, under? I, I, okay. under, yeah. I think night shift, I mentioned the timetable Super Bowl weekend to Valentine's weekend range, right? I think we're, we, we should have somebody in place by that time period. I, I really do, especially with the, the way you do interviews now with Zooms and everything. It's not like you have to travel the candidates, you know, every day. You can just do it via Zoom. Uh, you can knock it out quicker. So 
I think that's going to be it. And like I said, people just got to look. This is an important hire. You want UCF to make this re- to do the, ser- the research and and do the search and talk to people. You don't want them to make a quick decision. You want them to do due don't... diligence, is what you're because saying. Because here's the thing: I rather give up. I rather sacrifice signing day 2021, and even if it affects the fall of 2021 for the next five ten years of success. You don't want to make an irrational, quick decision that could set your program back five ten years which has happened some would argue that's happened at tennessee that's why tennessee is in the mess they're in that's happened at other places so um you know that's the way it is and look maybe jeff levy is the guy if he is it'll be proven in the process it's not going to be proven elsewhere um and i think that's the important thing let them do the process because you never know what you're going to find out if you guys would have asked me two years ago hey the head coach of Boise State would be the softball head coach. I would say, no chance. What are you talking about? Well, that, that makes no sense. She has no ties to the West Coast. Well, guess what? She ended up being the hire, and turns out it was a great hire. Would have not figured that out without a search. All right. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So we wait. Fine. Whatever. We'll wait. Anyway. I, yeah. I, I'm, I find it's, I, I, it's the one thing that we know for sure, and I just want to close on this thought. Like, the secret's out now. Like, it used to be five years ago, the whole idea about, like, okay, whatever's holding this program back, it's gone now. Um, Now we know what the brand can be. And like I said, and like other folks in the media have said that we've talked about, you know, UCF UCF can select who they want for these positions. They don't have to convince anyone. So, and that's a very powerful position to be in. So, we wait. We wait and we see what happens next with this. All right, let's take a quick break. When we turn, hoops, men's hoops and women's hoops getting victories back-to-back in the doubleheader over uh, ECU. Women's hoops had a tight one. So did the men's team. It was a lot tighter than it probably should have been, but, hey, they snapped the losing streak, and we'll hear from Coach Dawkins and Coach Abe when we return. This is the Black and Gold Bannerette Podcast. Back after this. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here on this uh, Thursday evening. Sorry we're a day late, but like I said, everything was going nuts. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com, where you would have seen coverage of UCF men's and women's basketball, both getting victories over East Carolina on Wednesday night uh, in a doubleheader. The uh, women... First of all, we'll start with well, yeah, we'll start with the women's team because they took care of business in a game that was really close. That was a really game ECU team that they ran into uh, yesterday. Fifty-two to forty-seven uh, was the final. Um, Knights have now won four in a row since that loss at Temple. I take Temple. I can't freaking stand that place. Um, <laughs> leading, leading scorers for both squads, uh, Brittany Smith. Led UCF with 11. Uh, Cortesia Sanders had uh, 10 and 11 rebounds for UCF. Masnikala had eight uh, for the Knights as well. Uh, 18 points for Maddie Moore for East Carolina on 7 to 17 shooting, plus eight rebounds for her. But, um, you know, let's give uh, ECU credit because as good as UCF's defense was, they held ECU to 24.6% for the game, which is still unbelievable. And ACU held UCF to 35.4% uh, for shooting. And, uh, uh, Elo, I know you watched part of this game at least. What what was the deal? What what was this ECU team doing out there? And should we be concerned 
uh, going forward that they may have exposed something with UCF? No, I don't know about that. I think it was more of the fact, hey, that you know ECU brought it to UCF. This was the second meeting between the two teams. They had a close game in Greenville the first time. They have they kind of have similar principles than UCF. And you know, as Coach Abe said I, when she I talked to her after the game on the post game here, she admitted that you know what ECU was a little more aggressive. It was more had got to more 50-50 balls, and she kind of hopes that this is more like a wake up call for her team to be ready because teams are going to go after. Maybe we got lucky down the stretch because we had some upperclassmen that knew how to win at the end, you know. But, I mean, she they do a good job. Their defense is really good, just like ours. I mean, you can see it's the same kind of matchup. It's hard to play against. It's hard to score against. Um, their press is really good. So they play a lot like us, right? So, I mean, they just did, they did a really good job. I felt like they came out with a lot more energy and ready to go. Um, and they made a lot of effort plays and hustle plays that, you know, 21 offensive rebounds, that's that's – that's just gut and will and going after the ball, right? So, I mean, there's nothing we didn't prepare our team for. They knew that they were going to come in, and everybody's going to give us their best game by far every game we play, and especially the second round, you know? This is the second time we played them. So we have to be ready for that, and we've prepared our team for that, but hopefully this was a great um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Great – point that we keep making all the time like now will you listen to us and believe us that everybody's going to give us their best game and and they really did and we didn't beat them by very much at their place either i mean kim's doing a great job there that was coach abe whose team is nine and two and seven and one now in the american and uh you know she was right you know five and nine three and six was ecu at at the end of this game right but it's it's it felt a little bit to me eric watching that game like uh, they thought that e- that UCF thought their defense would kind of just w- would kind of just overwhelm ECU and uh, and they would just fold. And yeah, to the Pirates' credit, they didn't. They didn't fold in this game. And so you know, I think they got a, they got a lot to learn from here, don't they? They do, and I think as Abe mentioned in the in that in the clip we just played, basically you got to be ready from the get go. These teams are going to bring their A game with them. They're a target. Yeah, you know, that, that was a tight game. I mean, I was watching it. It was 41-38 ECU in the fourth quarter. It looked like ECU had momentum. And then Alicia Lewis, the Syracuse transfer, hits a three to tie the game up. It was her first field goal of the game. She only took three shots. You know, I talked to Abe in the postgame about that. She wants her to be more aggressive. She's too unselfish. She's a pass-first point guard, and she's arguably their best shooter. And they want him to yeah. shoot, but sometimes she passes too much. But she made a great assist to Sanders. And they took the league. It was a very intense game, very chippy game. It was. Uh, but, they, but they found a way to win. And as Abe mentioned there in the clip, they're veterans. Having those veterans that have been through this before, they won. But, you know, it's a wake-up call because you got to be careful. I mean, you mentioned the Temple loss. You can't have many losses. South Florida right now is rolling. They are a top 16 team in the country. That match showdown is is lurking. But you cannot slip up and fall another game because, quite frankly, there's no guarantees that USF's going to drop a game if you don't, you know, other than yourself. So, uh, and you look at UCF, I'm looking at them as of Thursday night. Their net ranking is 52, so they're right on the bubble right now. So they cannot afford to have any setbacks, and once when you let teams hang around like you did against ECU, that could come back to haunt you, uh, uh, you know, uh, you got away with it this this time around, but you may not be able to get away with it in the future. One good thing I saw from late in the game, we'll leave it on this. Well, before we look at the schedule ahead, UCF was eight of eight at the line in the final two minutes. That's big. 
that's only missed that, three the entire game. Only yeah, missed three that's, too. That's so big in a, in in close games, and I think that the fact that they're shooting their free throws well down the stretch is, I mean, that's like you said, and like what Coach Abe said, that's the mark of a veteran team. You know, they know what they have to do. So here's what they have to come. Here's what they have coming up on the road now. Saturday at Wichita. That's a long road trip. It's on ESPN Plus, uh, 8 p.m. January 30th, and then they're also on ESPN Plus on Tuesday, February 2nd at Memphis, uh, and that's like I said, also on ESPN Plus. So two big big road games for them before their first uh, matchup with South Florida. So we're coming down to that big matchup here between, between with the Bulls. But, you know, the, that's a brutal road trip that they're taking out to Wichita a very Memphis, tricky right? road trip. Very, very tricky. Can't slip up. Can't look ahead to USF. By the way, Charlie Cream, the <clears throat> ESPN women's basketball bracketologist, Mm-hmm. Has UCF as his last team in right now? Has him in as an 11 seed to play Arkansas. So again, the, so the he's route- so he's picking USF to win the conference and UCF, UCF to finish second. Okay, correct. That's that's how it is in the standings right now. USF is seven yeah. and one. UCF is seven and two. Or excuse yeah. me, seven and zero, oh, and then seven and one. Right, and he moved them in this week. He's moved them in. They've been outside looking in, and they moved in. But again, the reason I bring it up, Charlie's very good. We've had him on this show. He does a great job uh, breaking it down. There is not a lot of room for error. And really, UCF right now, that that we'll, we'll get into more of this next week when we preview the USF game in depth. That is a, I would argue, this could be one of the biggest UCF women's basketball home games of all time, maybe ever. Uh, because it's going to be nationally televised and what it's at stake, USF being ranked where they are. We'll discuss that more next week, but it's a looming big game. But you cannot look to that game right now because you mentioned it. Road, trick, that's where you're, you, you're – if you don't bring your A game, you can get tripped up like you did at Temple. Okay, so we're going to keep an eye on that one. That too. This, by the way, Memphis right now, 4-7, and 2-4 and four in the conference. Wichita, 4-6, and 1-4 and four in the conference. But um, yeah, don't – sleep on these teams because three of them be more four aggressive wins have been at home. Yep. Yep. And, be uh, more three, aggressive. and three of Wichita's four wins have been at home. So uh, t- just be careful here. Take care of business when you can. Road, road games are always tough, no matter what the opponent's team is. As, as for the uh, men right after that game, uh, they took on ECU in uh, a wild game, Murph. I think we can say that. Um, you know, in that first half against the Pirates, things looked really good. UCF was up by 19 points mm-hmm. uh, in the first half. And then ECU and Jaden Gar- Jaden Gardner took over this game. Uh, he finished with t- uh, 23 and 10 rebounds on 10 of 18 shooting. He was outstanding in the second half. And uh, ECU got within, I believe, three, was it, Murph? Yeah, 62-59. And then, and then they just, they, and then it looked like ECU just missed some key shots um, down the stretch that could have that could have gotten them. Uh, could, I, I thought that they were getting ready to take the lead at one point in the final final four minutes, and then UCF made a couple plays on defense. Uh, I think Brandon Mahan had a had a key steal. Um, ECU missed some shots, and then UCF was able to just kind of stiff arm them the rest of the way, but. Um, a little bit of a scare there, almost blowing a 19-point lead, right? I mean, that was it was a little dicey there for a while. Yeah, it was, and it's a good thing that uh, this team 
had an unconscious stretch there in the first half, about three minutes, where they couldn't miss a three-pointer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they made they five made, straight threes, I think, at one point, didn't they? They it was so they made five straight threes. Yes, but they made four in four consecutive possessions. Yeah. So four trips, four threes. It was kind of wild. That put a one point that that took a one point lead out to a sixteen point lead in the span of about three minutes. Um, I was impressed with the first half. Uh, I thought okay. So generally, I thought the starts of both halves were kind of dis, you know, like very dis, like disjointed and kind of wonky, uh, kind of messy. But certainly, first half impressed with Darius Perry once again. That team's just again so different when he's on the floor right. in terms of how it runs its sets, and he is. When he needs to be, he can be very aggressive. I mean, he's a dog. He's an he's a he's an absolute dog. I love that. Uh, yeah, he's great. He's, he he's is he is a fun point guard to watch, and you can just tell the the confidence level that he has um, running the show out there. It's great. It, he is fun yeah. to watch. And I was very impressed with Jamil Reynolds. I think using his physicality, using his big body to get good position, to know that he can sort of muscle guys down low. I thought when he was on the floor, he did that pretty effectively. Uh, also went up against Gardner one-on-one a little bit and did a decent job there. Um, I, so as far as like his growth comes along, I thought this was a big step for the freshman. Um, but generally, that second half, man, I, okay, yeah, you can say Jaden Gardner, Gardner certainly had a lot of buckets in the second half. Um, you know, he was able to just get inside and do work in the paint. Obviously, he's got that short corner jumper all figured out. But, man, oh, man, if UCF didn't just try to give it to him. I mean, they absolutely definitely tried to give it to him. Uh, and I mean the game because they didn't want the ball. They kept throwing it away. They were just mis- they were misreads on who's going where. Uh, just a lot of passes that were aimed at no one in particular. 11 turnovers in the second half alone after only three in the first half. That second half was really ugly. And then once Gardner got rolling and UCF couldn't really get uh, any offense going because they couldn't hold on to the ball, you could almost feel the weight of the game sort of pressing on them, and it was sort of shown on the activity on the court. I thought the, the Pirates in that stretch looked like the more lively, looser, fun team, and UCF just looked extremely tight. They were they were uh, they were just totally strung high. So you know, obviously Brandon Mahan hits a gigantic three. Uh, I, it, it's another it's another shot. It was a shot near the, about the two-minute mark. I think Yusef was up by four. The possession was going nowhere. Darren Green almost lost the ball uh, at the top of the arc. He gives it to Mahan, and I swear to God, once again, Brandon Mahan is the king of the no, 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 yes three-pointers. <laughs> shots that look like they should not be taken. It's a bad shot. He took the, he took the ball. He took the shot from about three feet behind the line, and it goes right in. Granted, there was like four seconds on the shot clock. There's nothing, there's nothing really much else he could have done there. Um, but, you know, he, you know, when they need a big basket and they needed a, a dagger, he gave them one. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, obviously they're going to take it. When you're, when you're on that kind of losing streak, you, you cherish every kind of win. But there were a lot of warts against a not very good ECU team. And, and again, I think we just have to stress the – the, you know, Johnny Dawkins has talked so much about the unforced errors and the turnovers that this team uh, has incurred upon itself. A lot of those games have come without Darius Perry, but in that second half, even when he was on the floor, they looked ugly getting into offensive sets. They've got well, to let's, 
Sorry, sorry, Murph. Let's let's hear from Coach Dawkins after the game. Here's uh, Johnny Dawkins. Well, you know, it reminds me of my NBA days. You know, we had these road trips, four games and seven nights, five, three games and five nights, you know, and seven nights. So it reminds me of a trip like that. So these guys will have that, have that experience where uh, you're playing multiple games in a short period of time. And it is what it is. We can't, like I said, we can't do anything about it. So the best thing to do is is, is get ready for the challenge. You know, it, you know, we got we have an opportunity in front of us, and that's how we're gonna look at it. We're not gonna look at it as a negative. We're gonna look at it as a positive. We're playing basketball games, doing something we love. We get a chance to go out there and compete. So that's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna handle it. Murph, I got a question about this team, and I'm and I was looking at the statistics, and I thought <clears throat> from my perspective that in the second half. They they looked like they were tired. They look they and ECU threw a bunch of big bodies at them. ECU's got three guys who are seven feet tall. Now not all three of them played, but two of them played. And this is an undersized team. And to ECU's credit, also I think they they wanted to run, and if nothing was there, they pulled it back, and then they worked the inside. I thought really well. Now there are a total of fifteen players in the American right now who are averaging. 30 minutes per game or more. Three of them are from UCF. So that's so, so they, they account for one-fifth of the players you're averaging 30 minutes a game. Isaiah Adams is averaging 27 minutes a game. Is the the fact that UCF is running basically what we saw well, we saw an eight-man rotation out there. Uh is that is that the big factor here as to why these late game situations are uh, why they're looking so tight. No, I, I, that would be really weird if that was true because, uh, you know, there was a lot this team has had quite a lot of downtimes, uh, you know, not that long ago. And even like, even going into the SMU game, they had six days off before that game between the Houston game and the SMU game. This was not a long, this was not a short layover. This was Saturday to Wednesday for the ECU game. You want to talk about a condensed schedule and possibly being tired? We're going to get into that because that could definitely happen. Well, you heard Dawkins already talking about that on that. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, but that's what it is. So, no, I don't think they were tired for this ECU game. I just thought they played poorly. Well, they they finished out. It's it's nice to play relatively poorly and get a win. Let's be real. Um, Four. They're four and six, two and five in the conference right now, but. Here comes the slate. Ready? This is and this is what Coach Dawkins was talking about. Saturday at Wichita State, yuck. Monday at Memphis, yuck. The following Wednesday at Memphis again. Oh my God! And then the following Saturday at Tulsa. That's four games in seven days. Or four games in eight days. I beg your pardon. Well, um, at, no, that's at Tulsa. If Sorry. You if you add up the times, because I believe that uh, that that Wichita State game is an afternoon game, and then the Tulsa game is like a late morning game, like they're going to fit in four games into like into less than seven full days. Well, I'm looking at the, right now. I'm seeing the February sixth Tulsa game is set for six p.m. on the schedule. Is that right? Okay, I thought I thought it was like eleven, so they must have changed that too. Yeah, yeah they moved changed. it to six, and then Med, uh, Wichita's the four yeah, o'clock game, and then. That's still splitting hairs. This is four games in eight days. This is like an NBA road trip. Which well, is, and what, yeah, that's and, how Dawkins were deployed it. Yeah. 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 And and that Tulsa game was scheduled to be a home game that has been flipped. Uh, that home game against Tulsa will now take place on March 2nd. 
So that do we know is, why why is that? Do we know uh, get kind of break down? And also let's for those that may not be aware, why some people right now might be saying why is UCF playing at Memphis twice at Memphis? Well, Just kind of explain well, the, all that for those well, that may not first, be aware. Well, let me do the Memphis one because the first Memphis game was was supposed to have already happened, but uh, at UCF, but. Due to COVID, due to UCF situation with COVID, they they postponed it, and then they just decided we're we got to get two games against Memphis in, so let's just do them back to back at Memphis. So, right, which, sort of which kind of which kind of stinks because you you end up blowing out a home date, but it is what it is. To sort of cut down on the travel, um, yeah. you know, and but as far as the Tulsa well, the flip there, I've been told there's a lot of moving parts both on UCF's end and on Tulsa's end. Uh, I've been told that maybe they didn't want to get UCF, uh, you know, to, you know, to have them fly to Tulsa and then to ECU at the end of the year. So again, cutting down travel there as well, because because instead of taking two road trips at the end of the year, you only take one, and sort of you, and it's sort of like putting all your road trips into one basket. Yeah, be coming up. Uh, I will say, guys, it's it's kind of nuts, but we are we are already halfway through the home slate. Of this college basketball season for UCF, <laughs> they yeah, have played UCF five has only. At... Sorry, Murph. Go ahead. They have played five at home, and they have five at home remaining. Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing how quickly we've gotten here. That's that's what I was going to say. Was that UCF has only five home games left? Yes. and and here we are with. Let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, true. Uh, I mean, we have basically the season's five weeks to go. Right, it's January twenty eighth. Um. You know, one well, one month from now is February twenty eighth. They will, and on February twenty eighth, they will have played Temple the day before, and they have two games left. So, this is the home stretch. This is going to be this is going to be make or break time for UCF, who currently stands uh, at uh, where eighth, four, five, six, seven, eighth in the conference right now. Yeah. So, so they will head to uh, Wichita State again this weekend. It gets uh, on Saturday. The game's on ESPNU. Wichita State. Has not played since January 21st. They were they were really on a roll. We've been talking about them on this podcast about being really the surprise of the season in this conference, considering mm-hmm. all the upheaval that took place both on their roster and at the head coaching position before the season started. They've been doing really well. They're still four and two in conference, but they their last game they got trucked by Memphis by 20, um, which kind of set them back. And then their last two games had been postponed due to COVID cases uh, because their next two opponents were supposed to be. USF and Cincinnati, and both those programs are really having a hard time right now. Um, and and then obviously Memphis, uh, you know, after that after that win against uh, Wichita State, as I pull up the schedule here, they pull they they beat Wichita State by twenty, they beat East Carolina by twenty seven, they beat SMU at home by four back on uh, Tuesday, and then tonight they lost to SMU at at SMU in Dallas at uh, the buzzer two. too. Yeah, right. So this team, so Memphis team is playing really well. Musa Cisse is playing much better. I think I think Musa Cisse has a double double in three games in a row. I'm not exactly sure what he did tonight, but he did have three games uh, three games in a row with a double double. Uh, he's kind of like their their star freshman uh, this year. So Memphis is playing better. Wichita State generally has been playing very well. And guys, if you want to add up the records of UCF's success in Memphis, in Wichita State, and in Tulsa all time. The record is one and twenty-six. Yikes! Well, something's got to give. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what that is, Jeffrey? It's not what you want. 
it's not what you want. No, it's not what no, you want. Thank no, you. it is. Thank you, thank you, Joe Girardi. Murphy, real quick, who is the second best team in this league? Because right now, the issue that the league has, it's right now. I think it's a one bid league, which is yeah, kind of disappointing. In fact, who would have thought? I think there's a better chance that the women have more teams in the field than the men right now, unless one of these teams outside of Houston gets hot here. SMU's net rankings was in the 50s, Memphis 69, Wichita State 76. UCF, by the way, it's only 91. That's actually pretty good considering the win loss record. Uh, but like, that's the thing. Who is the second team? Is there a second best team that could establish themselves to be possibly a second team to get to the field? Well, certainly, like we said, Wichita State's played well. Memphis has played well. And, and you know, SMU, who we saw up close and personal, uh, has played well. As, you know, also, they're 5-3 and three in conference. Remember, they had a long layoff before they played UCF. Uh, and then so they beat UCF on the road, and then they just split a home-and-home -home series with Memphis. So those, I think those three teams are sort of jockeying for it right now. You know, if you want to look at player of the year race in this conference, uh, Kendrick Davis, the SMU point guard, uh, is right up there with Quentin Grimes. So if you want a guy to sort of drive you to the tournament, SMU has one of those guys. Uh, you know, and then you know, Houston is absurd. Houston yeah. is, is absolutely absurd. So tonight, guys, they played Tulane, and they played Tulane without. Uh, Caleb Mills, preseason player of the year, who's obviously gone to Florida State. They played Tulane without Quentin Grimes, the probably right now the conference player of the year because he was out with an ankle injury. And then if you look at guys like Marcus Sasser, who was great against UCF, he has three points tonight. I think Dejan Giroux has like four points, and they're going to beat Tulsa by more than 20. Yeah. Uh, or, excuse me, they're going to beat Tulane by more than 20. It's it, that team is an absolute juggernaut right now. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, like Eric said, fourth right now in the net rankings behind only Michigan, Gonzaga and Baylor and Gonzaga and Baylor are undefeated right now at 15 and 0. So yeah. uh, and, and uh, right now, well, this is obviously check the result when you get it. But, you know, as of right there is this recording, they're up 28 points on Tulane. I like their chances <laughs> to hold on. Yeah. So chance in the second half. So. I'm feeling pretty good about that one. Um, yeah. So who's going to step through? I mean, it, you, you I, Eric, I think you're right. I think this might may very well be a one bid, bid league unless someone in this month goes on a run. Now, that's entirely possible. But given how uneven the schedule has been with delays, postponements and whatnot, you know, it's so hard to get momentum if you're a team. I mean, he's. Houston has played nine conference games. They they and Tulsa are the only schools that have played nine conference games so far. And, you know, they, and they haven't had that many postponements due to due to COVID. And I think no, that's that's right. helped. That's helped to contribute to it because they got hot. They figured things out and they're just riding the wave right now. Yeah. Whereas, you know, UCF has been disrupted with it. And I think you've seen mm -hmm. it on the court. They're still trying to figure things out. And, you know, and even the only ones either around the around, right. the, around the country. Yeah. yeah. And I mean. Even Jameel Reynolds, it was interesting. I remember uh, Dawkins mentioned in the postgame that Jameel Reynolds is starting to kind of catch up. Because remember, and Murph, I remember you asked Dawkins about this on, before the season started, about the freshmen not having that rep before the season, not having the, you know, the workouts and the practices that they you normally would have. 
And that's, you know, that it's not an accident. You see teams like Kentucky and Duke who have a lot of freshmen that are struggling. I it, Dawkins mentioned this to you, Murph, before the year. Freshmen and a lot of these programs are struggling because they're playing catch-up most of the year. Absolutely. And it's going to be something you sort of have to prepare for and deal with the rest of the season. Again, this, this virus is not stopping. We're having games basically postponed every day now. Uh, in this conference and certainly across college basketball, you know, you, like to just take just take Wednesday as an example. UCF played against CCU. There were supposed to be three AAC games that night scheduled, and two of them were postponed. Um, so yeah, it's just something you're gonna have to deal with. And for freshmen to sort of really, really take value and treasure these reps when they come. Yeah. Well, I will say though, to his credit, Jamil Reynolds, I thought looked really good against ECU. He uh... We saw a little bit of his ability to get uh, to make some space underneath. And uh, I'm trying to pull up his. Uh, there he is. He in 11 minutes, three of five from the field, three of four at the line, nine points, four rebounds. So, um, boy, I can't wait till they. I can't wait until they get him in the weight room. And next year, he, next year, he and Isaiah Adams are going to be real problems for teams. I mean, and, you it's, know. it's a it's it's a good inside outside foundation, and then. Uh, you have the the point guard coming as Darius Johnson, mm-hmm. the uh, point guard coming into UCF as well. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. The best part is when you're talking to your point guard, you just say, "Say, Dar- hey, Darius," and that's the guy. You know, nothing changed. There. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a terrible dad joke. Wow. All right, let's did you just let's... catch that, Murph? Did you just see what he tried to pull there with the Darius joke there? Oh, I didn't. Oh. I, 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 I'm sure. I, I, it's. It seems like I, I know. It's. I know. It's weird for me not to be paying attention to Jeff. But <laughs> I, uh, Thanks, I, I, I guess it's okay that I didn't hear it, so it's fine. It was the yeah, Darius. Okay. You know, well, this year's point guard is Darius. On. Next year's Darius. Yeah, yeah, we get it. Let's move on. Uh, we're gonna take a break, and uh, when we return, special guest on the show, John Roddick, UCF's director of tennis and head men's tennis coach, joins Eric Lopez to preview their upcoming season. Well, it's actually, it's not upcoming. It's already started. Uh, John Roddick, when we return, this is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here, recording this on Thursday night, January 28th. Uh, still lots to talk about uh, here for UCF Sports, but it is tennis season. It is underway. Uh, and we talked last week with Brian Kanyeko, the uh, women's tennis uh, head coach for UCF, and now we get to talk to his uh, cohort and boss, uh, the do- the director of tennis at UCF and the uh, men's tennis head coach, uh, John Roddick. Eric Lopez, you talked to John. Last year, 10-3 and three, when the season got cut short, they had won eight matches in a row against the likes of Texas Tech, Illinois, Virginia, uh, San Diego. Uh, they... Uh, they had some. They their RPI was actually looking pretty good, even with some losses that they had uh, to Gainesville, UC, or to Florida rather, UCLA, and Wake. But uh, they they kind of you know like so many other programs at UCF, right? Kind of had their knees cut out from underneath them by by uh, COVID, and it, at a, a year where I think they expected to really go deep into the uh, NCAA tournament. So what's the situation now with uh, with the team, which? They start their season on actually tomorrow. That's Friday, uh, January 29th against number 11, Florida, playing everybody in state, playing a lot of in state before we get to the latter part of the schedule. Is this is this their time to make that run that they've been waiting to do now for uh, for a few years? 
It certainly looks that way. Of course, they got everybody back. Tremendous talent and the highest ranking in team uh, program history. 16th going into this season. That's what director of tennis, UCF tennis and head coach John Roddick, certainly who told me when I spoke to him that he actually doesn't think they've reached their peak yet. Thinks there are actually better days ahead for the program. We talked about that and, of course, dealing with the current climate that is scheduling and what is that like to be the role of director of tennis and having two top 25 teams to basically oversee? Here now, John Roddick on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And joining us now, of course, he's the director of tennis and the head men's tennis head coach at UCF, of course, arrived here on May 29th, 2016. And, of course, UCF's ranked 16th in the country. They will open the season Friday, January 29th uh, at home against number nine ranked Florida. I speak of John Roddick, who joins us back here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, coach, how you doing? Hey there, how are you? Good, thanks for having me on. I, I want, I'm curious in your thoughts, and we had Brian on recently, and I asked him the same question, is what has been your thoughts about overall about the program and what's unique with you, obviously, as being the head coach of men's tennis and the director of tennis, is you oversee both tennis programs, and here you are, both of you ranked in the top 25 in the preseason going into the season, highest ranked uh, for both programs with high expectations. What's your thoughts here now overall on the state of UCF tennis for both programs? Well, I think we're, you know, we've come a long ways, uh, number one, you know, since the, the, since the beginning. Uh, we both took over different challenges. Um, and we were in a big transition phase with, you know, moving our facilities out to the USGA national campus. Um, you know, and just, there was just a lot of moving parts going on. And, and, you know, the players don't necessarily feel that. You know, that's more on our end as coaches and uh, administrators. So, um, you know, now that we're, we're settled in, um, Young teams, uh, you know, the recruiting has been, uh, you know, for both programs as good as any teams in the nation, um, especially over the last three, three years, four years. Um, you know, so I think we're both positioned well to, to move forward. And, you know, in fact, it's, it's kind of they're eerily similar uh, situations, you know, as far as the way we're positioned right now. And it's been interesting, obviously, with a lot of the recent news, you know, I've been thinking back to your arrival here, and that was kind of a huge story in college tennis at the time, obviously joining uh, Danny White, bringing you in here and kind of visioning a UCF tennis program that was not at, certainly at the level it is currently now. I don't know if you've had time to reflect on it. You probably have not because you've been busy, but as you look back on that from your arrival here and, and coming in uh what what has been your thoughts, obviously, with the recent news as you've kind of now here you are a few years later, and this tennis program has made the progress that it has? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we've got a ways to go, um, but at the same time, I, I feel like it's, it's just time. And, and are you going to win some of the some of the close matches? You know, I know we're going to be on, on both the men's and the women that we're going to be in the conversation. Um, you know, we're going to be competing for conference championships. You know, competing to do well at the NCAs. Um, you know, and I, and I think competing for national championships in the near future. So, um, that's exciting. You know, I don't, I don't think as coaches, we're very good at sitting there and reflecting on, you know, what, you know, caught in, uh, not doing as well as you want to. I think that would be, happens more with us sometimes that, you know, we're always trying to look forward and what do we need to do next? I don't know that it really helps us that much to look back. Um, but you know, while we're talking about it, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, work that went into that, that a lot of our players can be proud of, um, you know, and the administration can be proud of for having the vision to, you know, get us in here and, and, and let us do our jobs. I mean, I think that's where Danny was 
uh, you know, really, really effective. I mean, obviously, he's them for hiring the coaches. He's hired. to do that. You know, you you gotta let them do their jobs the way they do it, and um, you know, and he's really done a, a good job. I think, it, and I think every coach in the um, department would would say that. Describe for those that may not be aware, you're the director of tennis. Describe what your job with when you wear that hat as opposed to just being yeah. a head coach. Yeah, it, it's somewhat unique to tennis. I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure golf could do it, or some other sports could. In, in tennis, we've had it um, around the, the country where one program or maybe a particular coach has done a really, a really good job on their on their program, and, and they might either give somebody the director of tennis job or a title um, at the university they're at, or if they're being hired away, which is even you know probably the more common way maybe it happens. Um, to entice somebody to come is, you know, where, where you have a little bit of a, a dual hat where you have, um, you know, a, a administrative oversight, so to speak, of of the women's team. I mean, we, we still have the administrators that we, um, you know, that both of us report to and stuff like on certain things. And, and you know, as, as an administrator or someone with a coach, I always look at it from my lens, which is still the coaching. Um, you know, UCF's been great with that, you know, in allowing me to do that and, and still have the oversight so it can probably be set up a little differently um you know in each place but um you know it's not something that's that's overly common but it's not it's not extremely rare either so you know i'm fortunate to have been in that position and and you know and that just i like having responsibilities and, and adding that and you know being able to to hire brian they, they gave me a really you know a lot of autonomy and, and brian was a a coach who was in the ivy league and and was, had taken over a struggling program but he'd done incredible work at Ohio State with the women, and, and I knew that, and I recognized that even though it's head coaching record at Brown, you know, someone would say, well, why would you hire that person? And, you know, and I think that's where I could really help and really having, you know, the voice in the room to say, look, this is the guy to, to help us. You know, this is our – and so I think that that was – for me, that was fun. Um, and so that's kind of the, the difference as far as a director of tennis versus a head coach. I mean, as a head coach, you definitely have input on the other genders um, – um, you know, if they're doing a coaching search, you're going to still have a lot of input. Um, you know, whereas with me, I, I just, you know, really said I, I'd like to hire this guy and I had to get approval to do that, you know. So it was a, for me, it was a fun thing to do because a lot of coaches don't get that opportunity to, to, to run a coaching search. And so that was, that was exciting. What's the biggest thing you've learned from that, having that title as you were kind of going through? Is there anything that caught you off guard that you didn't expect or was it pretty much what you thought when you took the, the, that role specifically? Yeah, I mean, going through the search part of it, you know, is how much you're on the phone, you know, for any sport. I mean, and I can't imagine what athletic directors have to go through, uh, you know, as far as a football hire goes, um, you know, or, or the high-profile hire. I guess it doesn't have to be just football, but, um, you know, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of work and, and making sure, you know, a lot of responsibility making sure you bring in, a, you know, not just a quality coach, but a, a quality person to, to run those programs. It's a big responsibility to be, you know, in charge of, of that many young people. And, and um, you know, it's, there's a lot that goes into it that you don't necessarily realize until you do it. Brian mentioned that, you know, his players obviously support the men. There's support on both sides. They watch him. And it, in a way, it's a healthy competition because you're both, you know, you're trying to bring the best out of each other. You're both shooting for the goals that you have, being ranked conference championships. Do you sense that as overseeing both that I, there's that competi- healthy competition from the two programs that helps each other uh, and, and, and kind of support each other? Yeah, you definitely feel it. I mean, we, you know, my first year we had more success just, you know, based on, what, what was going on in the program and, you know, and, and, you know, we, we started rebuilding more after the first year where we had a, on the men's side, we had a, a good year and, 
you know, made the NCAA tournament and made a huge jump in the in year one. But we just had this where we brought in some transfers and we had a couple older guys on the team that were current that that really contributed. Um, and we were able to have a good year, whereas Brian had to rebuild from year one. And so we kind of started off quicker, and then they passed us, and now we're, you know, right there. I know our guys, uh, you know, rec- definitely recognize that we were one or two spots. I don't even know what it was. I think, it, I think they're 18, maybe, and we're 16. And, you know, but it, there's a definitely a healthy competition. I mean, they're, they're definitely aware. And, you know, it's just it's not anything malicious. They just take pride in it, you know, and it's uh, bragging rights for them because both teams are doing well, and it's, you know, and we're, we're – kind of on the same trajectory at the moment and, and so yeah no question we're speaking with john roddick here on black and gold banneret let's talk about your team obviously you were 10 and 3 in 2020 when the season came to an end uh as, as, as unfortunate as that was it, can you take positives there and some of that momentum you were building in 2020 can that carry over to 2021 uh, you know, it's it, it definitely carrying over i mean i i see it is very you know one of the more disappointing things that i've gone through um you know i there's probably maybe seasons you have and you know there could, <laughs> teams are in a division where you're like i'm glad the season's over if it's not going the way you wanted it and we were going it was going the way we wanted it to go i mean we lost one tough one at ucla four three that we'd like to have back but you know we won on the road at virginia on the road at illinois you know and these are historic programs that 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 we were beating on the road and so that you know, we were, we knew we were positioned to have a, you know, to, to have a chance to be in the top 10 and, you know, make a, you know, make a, a deep run in the NCAA tournament. And, and we started to play at that level. And, you know, the thing I like is even when we didn't play well, we were winning matches fairly convincingly. And, um, you know, that's when you, as a coach, I, I recognize that's when we have a pretty good team. Um, and so it was unfortunate not to finish, but, and, you know, we'll, we'll pause it here and, you know, keep doing what you're doing wherever you're at throughout this. And, and, um, you know, now that they've come back, they're very motivated to, to keep going. And the team has been together at this point for, for a while now. And so we have a very mature team that knows each other. So it's, you know, so they they handled it well. And, you know, we just said, look, this is an opportunity. We proved to ourselves. And that, you know, yesterday, we, I mean, yesterday, last year we were still searching, you know, do we belong, do we belong? And I think we proved it to ourselves that we did. And so this year, you know, they're just hungry to, to, you know, to go out and prove it to everybody else. I, I don't think they have that doubt, which is a, a nice transition. How did the uh, the fact that the spring athletes got an extra year of eligibility, according to from the NCAA, how did that affect you from your from a roster standpoint and from a recruiting standpoint as far as the sport of tennis? Well, we were we were fortunate that we didn't have any seniors on the team, so we didn't have that problem where you've signed, you know, some high some high school seniors that are coming in, and then you have you know, seniors that, you know, from a scholarship standpoint, they were exiting uh, and, and finishing their eligibility. And so all of a sudden they get an extra year and then you have that financial pinch on, on athletic departments. And, you and you, you know, you want to get everyone that's been with you the opportunity to come back, you know, especially when they've done things right and they've been good teammates and, and all that. But at the same time in, in college sports, you want to keep moving on and bring in the new fresh faces. And so you're, you're caught and it's really more of a financial thing, which I think everybody you know, experiencing COVID in one way or another has definitely been affected. And, you know, so we didn't, luckily for us, we didn't have to make any of those really hard decisions and, and having those hard conversations that a lot of student athletes have had to have with their coaches or administrations around the country. And, um, you know, so we were very fortunate in that where everybody could come back in and, you know, we were just in a good position with that. So, um, you know, we were from a scholarship standpoint, anyway, we had some new faces, but it didn't affect our, our scholarship situation. So we were very lucky on the, on the men's side. 
And having that experience back, and I know you got some new faces we'll talk about, but having that core of an experience back, has that helped you through this unique circumstances as you kind of navigate through all this as get set for the season as opposed to if you would have had a younger team and kind of try to kind of blend in? I'm, I'm very thankful that our, our team was going to be mostly juniors and seniors, or, you know, before the coach and now we're, we're still um, sophomores and juniors, but I'm very thankful that they were older at that point, or at least kind of mid-range, because I think if this happened with a young team, uh, where everybody on the team is young, it, it and you're not sure that you know they, they start learning their identity, what they need to do as players, as people, just to stay organized in their life. I think a lot of the COVID stuff was harder on the the student athletes outside of the sport, because at least the sport, if you if they were at home and they were in a situation after some of the lockdowns, you know, for two weeks to four weeks, whatever they whatever they faced, depending for our, for us, it depends on what country they went back to. You know, as far as how long they could go. But once they were able to go to their clubs or, you know, go to find a tennis court to go play on a park, then, and they could get that routine back, that really helped them. You know, I think it was harder, out, you know, on the academic, all of a sudden tutors or everything's virtual. So I think it was very hard. And, and athletes are used to structure. And, and, you know, when you lose that, it, it becomes, it can become very difficult. And, you know, you end up doing things that maybe you shouldn't be doing. And, and so with our older kids, we, we didn't have any of that. They, they, you know, we had a couple of meetings. We, we weren't even a team that had to do a bunch of Zoom. And we did some Zoom meetings, but we weren't having to do these every day. We would do them once every week or two, just kind of as needed because guys were, were okay. I mean, they were doing well, and they were like, no, coach, I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, don't worry about it. So, so we, were, we were really lucky with that, the, with the maturity. Let's talk about some of your players on your roster, starting with Gabriel DeCamps. Frank, 16th now in singles, uh, was the first singles All-American in program history in 2020. He's ranked 12th in doubles alongside Gracia. But I want to talk about Gabriel. What makes him so good? Yeah, his drive. Uh, you know, he, he works really hard. His desire, he wants to be the best player he can be. He wants to play at a, a pro level. He, he goes about it that way. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, his huge forehand, uh, he moves well. He's, he's tall, so he's got a lot of physical attributes, um, you know, and, and that's what makes him. He's one of the, you know, one of the best players in the country, and you know, he's a guy that that when we play, I know we always have a chance to win it with number one singles, and you know, you can't always say that. I mean, if you're playing the, you know, let's say you're playing the number one player in the country, and you're going up, you know, a lot of times you're not <laughs> going to be in a good shape in that, and then and Gabe can play at that level, so he he always has a chance, and um, that's always a nice thing to have there. We, a lot of uh, fans got to see him in November on, uh, on ESPNU on national TV at the Oracle IT National Fall Championships where he lost to Trey Hildebrand, his buddy, in, the, in three sets in a singles match. Some might have been surprised. Trey's been tremendous in doubles. What was it like for you to watch that? I know he, there weren't the only two players in that tournament, but what was it like for you to see those guys ha- having the success they did in that tournament and going against each other in the championship? Yeah, that was a that was a you know, special moment, and then at the same time, it's COVID, so you 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 know, got to be honest with yourself. Not all the players in the country were there. It typically, would be in that event. But having said that, it was still a very strong field. Um, you know, I, I would kind of equate it from a field. We have our regional events, and then we have our national events, and this would have been a a strong regional um, event. And so, you know, I was very proud of the guys of the wins they got there, and then and then playing each other in the finals, a three setter. They, they played well and. And for Trey, more so than Gabe, I mean, he, he really proved that he can he can make a huge jump, um, you know. And so that that was, I was happy to see that, you know. Sadly, at the expense of Gabe, you know, on that one, it was um, you know <laughs> that's that makes it hard to watch. But at the same time, you're you're happy for Trey. 
Yeah, and we had Trayon right after he won that. I was so impressed with him. And he talked about the confidence, giving him confidence as a singles player. Because up until, you know, he's been tremendous as doubles. But, you know, he's been searching for confidence at times as a singles player. Can that run on a tournament like that, can that boost him in the singles here moving forward to the rest of his career? Yeah, it has. I mean, that, that definitely happens in our sport. And Trey was, you know, a top, top American recruit. I think he was as high as, I don't remember exactly, two or three. Uh, on the American recruiting list. So he, he's got the experience. He's got the ability in singles. He had a broken wrist in the fall. Um, you know, he had, a, he had a good freshman year, not a great freshman year. Um, and then he was starting to do well, and then he broke his wrist. That really slowed down. The timing was unfortunate, and it, it didn't heal quickly. You know, he had just some of those, you know, just unfortunate things go on. So that slowed him down last year. And, you know, honestly, when Kobe, he always he really improved his forehand. He calls it his uh, COVID forehand. <laughs> so he's, you know he's made made light of it a little bit in, in that regard, where he he realizes that that not playing and not having tournaments helps his game. You know, and so that was, and he he used it. He did a great job. He transformed his body uh, from a fitness standpoint, and he and he really transformed his forehand. Um, you know, so he's he's done a really nice job. Um, you know, just using what what ended up happening and, and benefiting from it, you know. No question. Uh, let's talk about the rest of your roster. What stands out from the rest of your roster? I mentioned Juan Pablo Grassi. Obviously, he's doubles with Gabe. They're a tremendous tandem. I want to start – what makes them such a good tandem? And then kind of tell us a little bit about the rest of the roster here as you try to kind of fit the pieces yeah. here for the season starting. Yeah, well, Mizuchi's a, a very good singles player as well. Played two and, and had a great record there. And, again, he's a guy who's got the experience who can – compete with anyone in the nation. Um, you know, him and Gabe and doubles have played great. It doesn't mean I'm even going to keep them together this year. I know they're ranked 12. I mean, your doubles parents can change year to year. So as coaches, we don't pay too close of attention to the ranking. Um, you know, we're trying to win the point and, you know, whatever we need to do to, um, you know, to get that done, we'll do. And so, like, you know, they're, they're, we know we have a good team with them. Um, you know, Trey and Bogdan, Pavel have played together in doubles. So, um, you know, and you go, you know, Bogdan is playing like four, five, and six singles. And, you know, we know we can win in every spot, whether it's Sokolowski or Pavel, you know, Trey, Rubio, uh, another really good singles player for us. He's played, he, he really came on at number three last year, and you know, he pulled. He, he's the one that really turned some matches that we didn't necessarily expect him to win because they weren't matches that he'd won in the uh, in the past, and he turned it. That's what really, I think, he, you know, Allen really turned it around for us um, and started getting us over the hump uh, in some tough matches. So we're yeah, we're excited because we know we can win in every spot. Doesn't mean we will every single time, but we know we have the ability to to win in each spot, and so that we don't have any holes. So that's that's nice. And you mentioned a veteran team. You got I think one freshman on the roster, which I think is Quinn Snyder, who was a five star, was ranked forty seventh in his recruiting class. What does he bring to your program? He, he's a really hard worker. I mean, he he might him and Gabe are probably the two hardest workers, at least you know from a focus standpoint. Um, that we have on a team, he, you know, we're trying to redshirt Quinn this year. Um, you know, hopefully we can, we can do that with COVID. You never know how many guys you're going to have out all of a sudden. Um, you know, it, just like any team, or even college times, we've had a rash of teams all of a sudden pull out of the, the kickoff weekend, including ourselves. Um, you know, so we, we understand that, that, uh, you know, it's kind of all hands on deck this year, more so than any other year. And, um, you know, so he, but, you know, we, we, we're kind of, we know Quinn long-term, he's got size, he's got, you know, a lot of ability and strength to, to do a lot of things um, and, and play at a high level. So we're, we're hopeful on, on his progress. 
Have you noticed that as you've gotten into this, the recruiting, and, and what, what have been some of the things that we've talked about in the past about the facilities and the, the center, the National Tennis Center helping you in recruiting? Have you noticed that, that now that the impact of that, that you know, more guys like a Quinn can come here and make that an impact to the program that maybe would not have, say, six, seven years ago? Yeah, I think you know, being in Florida, I, I don't have a ton. I mean, the assistant at Georgia, and we had a lot of um, you know players that would come, like in-state players that would end up walking on because it was still their best. You know, I mean, we're not a, a full scholarship sport typically, anyway. So, anyways, and, and Quinn kind of falls into that category, and uh, but we're hopeful he can be a, a starter. You know, when I was in Oklahoma, we didn't we didn't have any in-state talent. I, I think I had one one starter from Oklahoma in seven years. Um, that I was there, and, and this player had moved to Florida and trained in Florida. So really, um, you know, actually, when Chris came back, his first year he was still considered a Florida resident, even though he's from, you know, Oklahoma. So you know, that for me has been a nice luxury to have. We 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 get players all the time that want to come here just because it's Orlando, because it's Central Florida, um, you know, and just be in the area. They they've got family in the area. They spent time in the area. Um, you know, it's easy to get to whether you're American, international. So that's been a nice luxury to, to, you know, have a squad deeper than say, you know, eight players. I mean, you know, unfortunately I'm having to tell people no, because they don't have roster spots and they're, and they're good players, you know? And, and so we're that, that I'm very lucky, you know, in that, in that regard. It's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> yeah, too, yeah. too many yeah, options. It is. Turning, turning, turning some good players away is, is a, that's a good problem. Yes. It's unfortunate sometimes. I wish we could, but at the same time, we can't manage that many people right. either with our staff. So we gotta, we gotta be careful. Yeah. What was it like as you made this schedule with the climate that it is? Because you like, you've always scheduled tough, and, and you still schedule tough. I'm, we'll get into some of the day, um, opponents. But what was it like as you kind of figured out the schedule uh, with, obviously, the climate that we're in and, 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 certain, and everybody dealing with kind of what, what they can do and cannot do? Yeah, it, it was tough because we had, we, had some, we had the best teams in the Big Ten coming out. We had Michigan, Illinois, Minnesota playing them here in March, which is a good advantage for us because they've been indoors and we get a chance to get them outside right away. And um, they all, they, they decided to do pretty much conference only outside of any national events. So we, we lost all those matches. We lost a, a home match with Texas, um, who I guess is still technically the defending national champion. Um, you know, so those hurt our home schedule, but it was just, it was just constantly readjusting. You know, I'm always trying to do the schedule when I, I finally finished the schedule and I looked and I'm like, man, it's January of 21. And I don't have, I only have four matches done for 22 right now because we've, it's just been maneuvering, you know, we can't play here and or this guy. So all the coaches around the country, I mean, you know, we don't always see eye on everything, but we, we, everyone has just understood, like we have to move stuff around and we have to be flexible. And so, um, you know, that's, that's been a, a good thing to see around the country. All the coaches have been trying to help each other out. That's scheduling because it's just, you know, we, we know we need to have good schedules and, and everyone is re- as much as we can, we can't always make it work, but we, everyone's been really flexible. And, um, you know, so we've been able to save our, our schedule and, and we still have a, a top notch schedule. So we're, we're fortunate. So, you know, hopefully that, <laughs> that everyone's able to come and play. Yeah, and right from the get-go, I mentioned you got Florida, then South Florida. You're going to Miami just to start off. And then uh, I know, you know, you go to Florida State, and then I know one that's going to be talked about nationally will be if, if March 27th, UCF at Oklahoma. I know that's the uh, furthest thing in your mind, but you know that's going to be one that people have circled uh, in college tennis world. Yeah, and that's one where we were flexible. You know, kind of what I was talking about. They had a date. We were in the area, and typically you don't want to go. We're going back to back to back days, <clears throat> excuse me. And you know, 
Oklahoma's in the middle, so it's it's tough to prepare where you don't get as much hitting time on this course and stuff like that. But I said, guys, let's just let's just play. And you know, we and we did it. I mean, you know, a little bit of experience. Like we did it five years ago. My first year, we added a match and we added a Baylor match. It was back to back. We had TCU, SMU, and Baylor, and we played our best match. We ended up losing to Baylor, but they were four in the country, and we lost four three, I think. And we almost won the match, and it was the last part of that trip. And I'm like, we can do this. Like we can go and play three good matches. And in that one, we lost all three, but actually the way we played, it helped us um, in the end, in the end. And we were a better team coming out of that. So, you know, I'm just trying to draw on that experience. Um, and, you know, and then just say, guys, like, you know, we, we expect wins this time, but we, we also know that we can go out and play well. If we play well, then, then that's what matters. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, a couple last things. Obviously, we've met, uh, what has it been like for you as someone who has been in all levels of tennis? You were obviously, we've talked in the past about your role in the ATP and being around there with your brother and now seeing what tennis has had to go through for the last year, not just in the college game, but in the pro game, even as we talk with the Australian Open and the protocols and things like that. What has been your thoughts as someone who has lived and breathed this sport and how they've been, and, and how you've been able, really been able to navigate that is not just in the college game, but you've seen the pro circuit. Yeah, it, it, you know, the U.S. Open did a great job of getting that in. Um, I mean, that they that, that was you know a great effort. It, it looked great on TV. I mean, they didn't really have fans, so that was the whole point was to look good on TV. Um, you know, and then the French Open got in. So, I mean, to get those two grand slams in, obviously in our sport, that, those are the most important um, important things. Um, you know, so I, I do feel like we miss a little bit of an opportunity of getting back earlier. You know, golf got back early. NASCAR got back early. I, mean, I remember that first race. And it was like the yep. first live event. I haven't watched a NASCAR race since I don't know when. And, you know, probably been 15 years. And, and all of a sudden, I was tuned into that because that was it. You know, yeah. like, that, was what, that was what there was to watch. So I do feel like, you know, it's not all positive necessarily. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with that. I, I do feel like we missed an opportunity. I mean, we're we're a distant sport. I mean, we're not all over each other out there on the, on the court. And, you know, so I feel, and it's, it's TV friendly. I mean, singles matches are very TV friendly and, you know, I feel like we missed an opportunity, but having said that, the slams did a good job. You know, I don't think Wimbledon really had a choice. I, I think they had to do what they had to do. They had the insurance policy, you know, so they, they knew in the end with the grass, you just can't say, okay, let's go play. The grass has to be ready. Right. And there's only a certain time of year over there where the grass is actually ready. So their, their window closed. There was nothing they could do. Um, and then the U.S. you know USTA did a really nice job getting the open played, um, and then once they got into it, it was it was great. But I just do feel like they, you know, we could have been out there maybe a month or six weeks early. I don't know the timeline exactly, but we, you know, some of us had talked about it like, you know, but I, it's risky. You know, you don't know what you're dealing with, so it's not to criticize anybody. Um, but I do think the sports that that got back earlier, like golf and NASCAR, really benefited from that. It seemed like somebody was waiting to see who could pull the trigger first, and it was the USTA with the U.S. Open. And I think since they were successful, I felt like that kind of let every, allowed everybody else to say, "All right, let's try it." I felt like. Did you feel? Yeah, that? I mean, exactly. Yeah, because when they went to the turn, then they they hosted. So the USTA said, "Okay, well, we'll just play everything here." You know, so they had the um, Cincinnati event, and that the yeah. USTA event as well. Um, they played that there, and so that was, and they they weren't having all these additional COVID K. I mean, obviously there'd be one here or there, you know, but it was very, very minimal. And so it was just proven that they could do it in a safe manner. Um, you know, and they, and they did it and they did a great job. It looked great on TV. I, I'm, I can't remember what their ratings were, but I, you know, I was watching it. I was impressed. It was like, wow, this is, this is good that we're able to do this. 
Yeah, and the Australian Open will start actually a couple weeks later than normal. Uh, they'll be starting on Super Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, going two weeks, which I kind of like. So hopefully we just get the tens yeah. going, both on the pros and the college game, and that's what's so exciting, Coach. It's uh, an exciting yeah. you know, Last question, what's going to be the keys for your team once you get on the court uh, and, and get through the, get going on the matches? What's the keys for you all to accomplish your internal goals? Yeah, I think for us, you know, I, I talked to our guys just about, you know, controlling themselves and, and, and understanding what they need to do, you know, not, not relying on whether it's your parents or coaches or whoever, we're an individual sport and it's up to you, you know, and then so them and dealing with adversity so they can, you know, understand what they need to do and take charge. I mean, we always tell them what they need to do and we try to guide them that way. But once they really take that and, and run, kind of like you alluded to Trey earlier where he did it with his conditioning and he really made a huge jump in it and he got a benefit to, to do those kind of things and then deal with adversity where sort of bad things are going to happen on the court you know probably same goes for any sport you know the the, the other guy's going to play well they're going to win a set but it's how do you deal with that and, and we've been you know that was one two years ago three years ago we struggled in that department if we if we keep doing that like we were starting to last year then um you know if we can do those two things I, I don't think for us it's anymore about hitting the ball and you know, that level, we have that level, it's, it's you know, it's going to be between the ears. And so if we can understand that and, and, and be really tough between the ears, we're going to, we're going to have a good year. Well, we're looking forward to it, seeing it get going uh, once again, and it's going to be an exciting season. Uh, John Roddick, d- director of tennis and men's tennis coach at UCF joining us. Uh, coach, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. I know it's a busy time as the season gets going and uh, good luck on the court. And uh, we hope to do this again down the road. Okay. No worries. Thank you. And thanks again to John Roddick for joining us. Uh, great, great extensive talk there. And thanks to Kenny Landis, Media Relations, knocking it out with uh, the, there with Coach Roddick there. But really fascinating interview to talk about so many different topics, being the director of tennis, how why he brought in Brian, and, and the fact that Danny White and the administration giving John Roddick the autonomy to make the hires, you're right, being the boss and basically allowing him, and, and that's what he enjoyed from that role of director of tennis. It doesn't exist many places. He didn't have, and that's one of the reasons why he came to UCF, uh, leaving Oklahoma. Which, by the way, if you look at the schedule, I mentioned it during the interview. At the end of March, uh, there, I believe it's the end of March. UCF goes to Oklahoma. Return yes. of John Roddick there. That's a, that's a big story in college tennis there. But man, they're exciting. They're they got a lot of talent. Uh, you know, Gabriel DeCamps. You know, in company there, they got All-American singles. They got a lot of talent. Everybody's back. I mean, Quinn Snyder's a, you know, a five-star recruit, and you heard Not him. that Quinn Snyder. <laughs> Not the basketball coach. The tennis player from Duran, New Jersey. He's a top 50, uh, top five-star, top 50-ranked player in the in the in recruiting, and he's trying to see if he can maybe redshirt him. That's how deep they are. So uh, really exciting time for them. And the you know the tennis program and they're not going to start easy right off the bat against a really good Florida team. So we'll we'll see how things well, go. But it's great to have tennis back. Well, this is what I think is is interesting about their schedule. They do not leave the state of Florida until March, March twenty sixth. They go to SMU for a conference match in Dallas, and it's a road trip where they go Dallas SMU in three days. They're at SMU, at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State before they come back on the last day of March to play Wake Forest at home. And then they, again, don't leave Orlando <laughs> the rest of the year because uh, the American Athletic Conference Tournament is in uh, Orlando this year, April 23rd through the uh, 25th. So how about that for scheduling? You know, they, they do have some road, you know, obviously they're, they're going to Coral Gables to play Miami. They're going to Jacksonville to play North Florida. They're playing 
FAU and Boca, but still, that, those are bus trips. Tallahassee on March 19th, um, but only one actual true road trip for them in the schedule, um, and it's against two good teams, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and then they get to come back and finish out the season basically right here at home. They do have a trip to South Florida on April 3rd, but they're they're finishing out the season at home. They have the conference championship at home. This, it lines up. It lines up for them this year, doesn't it? It does line up. They got the talent, but they got to put it together on the court. You've heard him before say that. He said it again on this show. You know, rankings don't really mean anything right now. It's all about performing and, and you know, but you're right. They have the experience. It really does line up to have a chance to be a special year. Obviously, you got to be a little lucky this year, obviously, and dodge some, you know, obviously some health stuff. You got to stay healthy. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you're right. It's lined up perfectly. And remember, a couple of years ago, when they were in the NCAA tournament, they lost a controversial match uh, in the opening round. Otherwise, they could have made a deep run in the tournament. So yeah. hopefully, they, maybe they can make a run like the women's did two years ago when the women got to the Sweet 16. I think it's that's the potential for this team. Hey, well. I'm looking forward to seeing what this team does. And I think the fact that we're going to see them at home for quite a bit um, is going to be a tremendous help to this program this year. And I, and it starts Friday against number 11 Florida, preseason number 11 Florida, at home at the USTA National Campus down at Lake Nona. So, uh, and then right after that, South Florida on January 31st and, on Sunday. And by the way, the matches are going to be, the home matches are streamed at USTANationalCampus.com. So you can actually watch Men's and women's UCF tennis. Uh, the links are up on UCFnights.com. But if you go to, it's on the USTA national campus. They will be streaming all the matches. Now they they allow you to watch like to skip between all the courts, right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. It is. Right. Re- if it if it's how I've seen it before, it's really cool how they do it, where you can click whichever court you want to see because there's matches. There's for singles, of course, there's six matches going on at once. And then for doubles, there's three matches going on at once. So, um, so you get your chance to kind of skip back and forth and see which which match is close. It's really great. So I do encourage everybody to take a look at the the streams when you get the chance to see it. Again, their first match of the season this Friday, January 29th, 5 p.m. against the Florida Gators uh, at the USTA National Campus. When we return here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, uh, we will go through uh, some updates from. Volleyball, women's volleyball is is underway. Women's tennis is underway. Uh, some watch listers for men's soccer and a record broken in cross country. Before we wrap it up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, with you here. Let us get you updated as we are now hitting the throttle on these fall slash spring sports here uh, with thanks to thanks to COVID, obviously. And I want to start with volleyball. Uh, the UCF volleyball team is off to a 1-0 start on the season. Uh, they defeated FAU uh, in the opener in the venue uh, on Tuesday. By the way, they played two against FAU, but the game on, or the match on Monday was an exhibition. UCF won that four sets to nothing because they just played four sets because they can get them in. And and get some backup, some uh, some work. But UCF beat FAU three one on Tuesday. Dropped the first one, but uh, came back and I think really showed their offensive strength in the uh, in the final three sets. Hit three seventy five, four forty, and four seventeen, and held FAU to uh, one twenty two for the match hitting and under one hundred for the final three sets. Um, 
Leaders for UCF, McKenna Melville had 13 kills, and she was pretty quiet for much of the match until she got to the fourth set, and then she decided, all right, let's go ahead and just end this thing right now. Anne-Marie Watson, um, yeah, I thought they kind of went after her on defense a little bit, and you know what, some, uh, what they were saying was, after the match was, you know, Anne-Marie kind of, you know, in previous years, this is how much she's matured, guys, is before if her defense was struggle, would struggle a bit, it would bleed over into her offense, but that wasn't the case um, in this match. She had 11 kills, and Mackenzie Chambers was just outstanding. Of course, the, last year she was a freshman, right? Um, looked really good on the right side, and then kind of ran out of gas, and Allie Sable stepped in and and kind of took over that spot. But uh, in this match, uh, 10 kills on 13 swings, 6-15 hitting. That's that's amazing when you think about it. Uh, UCF got some contributions from some other newcomers, including Tali Marmon, who was outstanding, I thought, defensively, had five key digs. Uh, Amber Olson, uh, 23 assists, 11 digs for UCF. And, um, and we saw a little bit of that uh, 6-2 that we were talking about with Todd. Remember in the preseason, Eric? So we saw Amber Olson and Dresi Pass working that 6-2. And a big shout-out to Ariana Arjaman, too, who... The transfer from Wichita State comes over to UCF to play libero. She played for Tanya Jarvis at Bishop Moore. Comes back home, and in her first match for UCF, five digs, but she was a, but she was a, a really steady, um, a, a really steady presence out there. Eight assists also for her, and playing all four sets. So, uh, props out to uh, props out to Ariana for in her first match for UCF. And the Knights are one and zero. They are. Uh, and next up will be, of course, here we are with this weird schedule. Um, the January, the, they were supposed to play tonight against Stetson, but that got canceled. So their next match, they have two against UNF back-to-back, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday at 7, Sunday at 5 at the venue. So, um, again, kicking off this non-conference schedule, it's a, it's a good win for UCF against FAU, who's missing a lot of people. So, first of all, they had a, a roster that was – massively depleted by graduation and then their two top two of their top players didn't make the trip so um you know fau is kind of in a, in a rough spot right there but they, they're a pretty tough team and i think they're they're in a good sort of rebuilding well good i think they're ahead of their rebuild and they want to be so um so props to them hopefully they can help out our rpi the rest of the year and hopefully unf can do the same when ucf plays them on january 30th and 31st so um, women's tennis, Eric Lopez, off to a bit of a slow start. They are 0-2 on the season, uh, having started the season. It, now, they started out on last Sunday against Wake Forest, at Wake Forest. Uh, or rather, no, no, they were at NC State, but they were playing Wake Forest, and they lose 4-3, and then they lost to NC State 4 nothing. But those are the 16 and 8 teams yeah, respectively yeah. in the rankings. So, Keyword, yeah. Top yeah, 20 so, teams. Yeah. Helps out, helps out the RPI, though. And then they're, com- they're going to be home uh, again tomorrow. Across, right before the men play, they're going to be home against Florida. And Florida's ranked number 21. So they've got, uh, they've got some work to do here to get, back, uh, to get back in the winning slide, don't they? They do. But again, that's two top 20 teams. We had Brian on the show last week. We talked about the tough schedule. And they got off to it. You know, that Wake Forest was kind of could go either way. Tough loss, and I don't. I I wonder if they were maybe a little emotionally drained after that Wake Forest match. 
because uh, yeah. NC State took it to them. But, you know, it's early in the season. No big deal. Now they got Florida at home uh, on Friday, as you mentioned. And, of course, Georgia Southern on Saturday. So I'll be curious how they bounce back. And, uh, you know, I'll be watching the stream in there. So, But they're, they're fine. I think they'll be fine. It's just, you know, they tested themselves to basically de facto road matches in the way I look at it and uh, could have easily gotten a split. It was very close. But, you know, it's early. Yeah. Interesting, against Wake, they swept the doubles point. But uh, it was, the key was uh, on uh, court number one, Anna Campana of, uh, of Wake Forest got the victory over Valeria Zaleva. And uh, Anna Breland of Wake beat Ksenia Kuznetsova and Casey Wooten uh, on, uh, or, or excuse me, Rebecca Stolmar won her match. Um, and so did Marie Mattel. But uh, uh, Casey Wooten for, uh, for Wake, you know, a couple of these matches went to tiebreakers. And our headsets that went to tiebreakers, and that's and it was that close. It was just that close, uh, and it ended up on the number five court. And Casey went, uh, won. Uh, they she won, or rather, uh, Jaleesa Leslie of UCF won the second set in a tiebreaker to get it to a third, and then Wooten won seven five in the third. So it was tight. It was tight the whole way against Wake. So I think this team can play, and we're going to see if they how they bounce back against. Number 21, Florida, on Friday. All right, moving along. Uh, some soccer news we wanted to pass along. Uh, Yoni Sorokin and, uh, and Giannis Learman have been named to the Mac Herman Trophy Award watch list for uh, UCF men's soccer. Um, they start their season uh, with a uh, – or they had an exhibition against FIU on Tuesday. They lost 2 to nothing, but it's an exhibition. Don't panic. Who cares? Uh, yeah. February 6th, Saturday, they play Tulsa. But uh, how about these two guys, Sorokin uh, and Learman, getting uh, some uh, some preseason Mac Herman consideration uh, for this team? The most, for, the most exciting, as I said, the most exciting soccer team in North America, UCF men's soccer. They become the fourth and fifth UCF player in the men's soccer program to earn uh, a wa- get on the watch list for the Mac Herman trophy, joining obviously Cal Jennings uh, and Louis Perez and Warren Cravel. Cravalho yeah. uh, is though those are the previous guys. None of the, no men's player has ever won the award. Obviously, we know who the women on the women's side who wanted the original, the goat, Michelle Akers won the original yep. Herman Watch uh, a trophy there, which she talked about on this show, Black and Gold Better. Hey, how many times have we mentioned that, Murph? How many times have we mentioned we've had Michelle Akers on the show? I don't know. We're bragging a little bit, but just saying. Wait, is there supposed to be a limit? Like, could we? No, just there is no, no, that, that is a bucket list item. I'm so happy that we talked to Michelle Akers. <laughs> Seriously, like, go, go ahead, man. We're, we're probably actually, we'll probably, uh, we'll probably repost that episode uh, here as we get closer to the soccer season. We'll hope to have Coach Sahadak and uh, Coach uh, Calabrese on. But man, it's exciting to have the soccer seasons. It, kind of a stunner, real quick. No MLS draft last week, no UCF players taken. Um, kind of bummed for some of the players, especially Louis Perez. I, I, I thought that they had a chance to get drafted. The good news if the, uh, from, a, from a UCF standpoint in, is the fact you don't have to deal with the questions, well, if the guy gets drafted, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? You know, the team's rights, although there's some talk, actually, that the MLS might uh, season might be delayed anyway. They might have a lockout. So, But uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be we- interesting questions with this team. You know, I don't read too much in exhibitions because you're usually experimenting stuff. So uh, we'll see when it starts for real. But what's wild is they're going to start for real straight out of, in conference play. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, UCF, by the way, was picked second in the conference behind oh, SMU. You... Oh, so the I was wondering. I was looking for that. Yeah. And uh, so that's not a surprise. Uh, SMU's been SMU's the favorite. SMU's SMU, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although now, both only, teams lost personnel, but yeah. Only six teams in the league this year because UConn's gone. So, uh, and, I th- and I think it's the same rule with volleyball where you can't vote for yourself. The coaches all vote on the preseason ball. You can't vote for yourself. Correct. So, I think SMU's coach voted for UCF, but uh, Gabriel Costa of SMU is the Offensive Player of the Year uh, preseason. Pierre Cayet uh, uh, of uh, Temple is the Defensive Player of the Year, but Yannick Edel was the preseason goalkeeper of the year, and UCF had five players on the preseason all-conference team. Learman, uh, Sorokin, Louis Perez, who you mentioned, Yannick Edel, the goalkeeper, and uh, Gino Vivi who uh, the, the sophomore sensation, Eric Lopez, Gino Vivi. I know you have a soft spot yeah, for him. We, yeah, we're going to get in him more once we do our soccer preview. I think he's a big key this season. Who's going to yeah. be the guy that steps into Cal Jennings' shoes and pick up score? And I think he is the one of the top candidates to do that. All right, so uh, we'll be following. Have UCF the women come soccer. out with theirs? Um, you know, let me we're check still, here. It's, it's pretty wild. Well, why do you do that? Because, uh, yeah, we're still waiting. Give me and Murph a little chance here, a brief moment here, Murph, to do a little baseball softball chat here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, we're still waiting. As we record this, the schedules are not out, but we've been told it's soon. We've been told Uh, it's soon. The time time draws nigh. The time draws nigh. Uh, Maybe, maybe as soon as maybe, maybe as soon as tomorrow. Maybe by the time you're airing this episode. And if, by the way, if the rankings, if this once the schedules come out, don't you worry. Myself and Murph will be doing a night shift breaking down the schedules because, well, we've waited. What? How many months have we waited to talk baseball, UCF baseball, and softball, Murph? Uh, more than ten now, right? That's, that's right, going on ten. But some interesting news this week: rankings. Baseball ranked twenty fourth in the what was it? The Baseball America. There's a lot of polls. I don't keep up. You know, which There's one like was it? Eighteen college baseball. Yeah. Polls. They were, yeah, they were. And again, me, Eric, you and I have talked about this. I wasn't really like, I didn't, I don't really follow college baseball polls that closely because, like, they don't really mean a whole <laughs> For lot. For that very reason. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but they did rank 24th in the, uh, Baseball America poll, which was one spot ahead of, uh, their ranking in another poll whose name escapes me. But again, it doesn't. D1? Yeah, maybe it was no, no it, it was wasn't one. They weren't ranked. It, it was college, collegiate baseball, I think it was. It was probably Let's, collegiate baseball mag. Yeah. You you know what I think, Murph? You should come out every week with your own college. But we should do a black and gold banner at baseball poll. Everybody fails yeah, as a poll. I, 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 I have I have a better idea. Let's not yeah? do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. All right, well, softball, the NFCA poll and the ESPN USA poll came out. Softball was ranked 21st in the NFCA poll, 25th in the ESPN USA softball poll. Second time in program history that softball has been ranked in the preseason top 25. They were ranked 17th going into the 2016 season. So that's kind of a little bit of, uh, you know, again, kind of the expectation super high here uh, with softball and even to some extent baseball, but definitely for softball with both polls, they'll be ranked in the top 25 and, uh, it, let's just say there'll be a few rank, other ranked teams in the schedule, and uh, we'll we'll find that out when that comes out. But uh, it, it'll it'll get a wow. I'm gonna in fact I'm gonna go bold here. 
when the schedule comes out, uh, Murph, my prediction is that Jeff will give a big capital W O wow with like a lot of exclamation points. He won't believe this. Now, Eric, Eric, let me ask you this about this, about the softball rankings. Is that where you expected UCF to be? Yeah, because softball, uh, these voters for the most part are not very creative. Um, so they basically, a lot of times what they do is they rank them where they basically finish in the, the previous season. I'm just, uh, I'm just giving you a chance to rag on the polls. Thank you. I would have put him in like in the 16 to 20 range, but so I agree more with the NFCA at 21 that I think 25 is ridiculous, but, uh, it is what it is. We'll have plenty of time to get into this, but I just wanted to give Murph and myself a little bit of a taste, uh, just a small little drip it as we anticipate minute by minute. Another day, and uh, before we know it, ball uh, first pitches will be thrown. All right. Uh, all right. Last little news item that I want to pass along here. Uh, we have some oh, breaking news, by, by the, the way. Oh, by the way, by the way, the um, uh, on the women's uh, soccer side, because that's why we took the, that's why we took that little detour. Uh, UCF did have uh, they haven't announced the preseason polls yet, but Kristen Scott and Ellie Moreno were named to the preseason All Conference team. So. Wait, wait, no, I beg your pardon. Um, the uh, UCF was finished with, uh, here it is right here. UCF was selected to finish second by the league's coaches. Uh, and Memphis was uh, number one with seven, with seven first place votes. Wow. Uh, so we're picked ahead of USF, which makes sense. Memphis, uh, USF lost to be the greatest women's soccer player in their program history. She's now playing in the NWSL. So, uh, that's probably part of the reason for that. But that's good. Second place is good. I knew those rankings came out. This is what happens when everybody just keeps moving to Knoxville. We lose track of other news. Godly. Right. Stop. Can we get people to stop going nobody, to Knoxville? Nobody is allowed to leave UCF yeah. for Knoxville, Tennessee for at least the next week, please. Um, yeah. la last well, person. Wait, well, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you're, you're probably not going to get your wish on that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there'll be a few we'll get, coaches that might disagree. Yeah. yeah. All right. But again, uh, we we talked about we talked about it on the night shift. This should not be any news to anybody who's been following right. along. I, so, um, by the way, last thing I want to mention here, and this is a a, a big time shout out, Valerie Lastra. Uh, UCF opened up the cross country season this Saturday. Uh, on campus, they actually start the cross country course at the softball complex, Eric. And um, uh, now Valerie is a uh, freshman, and she set a team rookie record in the 5K: uh, 17 minutes 43.6 seconds in the 5K on last Saturday. Broke a record held by Anne Marie Blaney back in 2012, is where Anne Marie said it. And Valerie, a fresh uh, that, that was a, a freshman record for the 5K in cross country, and Valerie beat it. UCF won or, or came in third in the or excuse me, uh, won their uh, team match uh, against South Florida and Florida Gulf Coast. But uh, uh, even in the even despite the rain, UCF got the win in the UCF invite. And uh, congrats to Valerie on the on a new school freshman record, seventeen forty three. I think I think I I think I would. That's like my mile time. <laughs> it's seventeen forty three point six. Wow, that's 
really good. And I've been back there by that terrain. That's rough. That's some rough terrain that they have to deal with, isn't it, Eric? It is. Definitely it is. But, uh, hey, that's a great accomplishment. When you're breaking a a record of Blaney, you're doing something right. Yeah, so congrats to Valerie. She's our MVP for the week. All right. Let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. we got a lot going on, but make sure you hop on to Black and Gold Banner Podcast once again. Lots of content up there, including our latest episode of Night Shift, where you, Eric, and you, Brian, discuss the uh, aftermath of uh, yeah. Tennessee. And we so, drank. Murph, we drank and alcohol. Murph. It's great. Well, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I don't know if that's a selling point. <laughs> One of well, us definitely Well, did. one of us did. We'll leave it at that. Tune in and find out what. Real what quick before you You'll be shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one quick note here. We mentioned earlier we talked about no search firm. That is apparently not the case anymore. Oh, John Rossi news. Yeah, John Rossi. Where's, Rost- the, where's the breaking news drop? <laughs> here it is. Yeah, here it on. is. Here it goes. <laughs> All right, go. John ah! Rossi. John Rossi reporting that, according to his sources. Oh, he's got sources, guys. John Rossi's got sources. Turnkey ZRG has been retained to handle the search for UCF's next football coach and AD. So a search firm will decide who is the next AD and the football head coach. So we do have a firm uh, now, according unload, to John Rossi. Well, unload all your Michael Scott, Ron Paul, it's happening gifts. Uh, the search firm has been hired. I'm looking. All right, turnkey ZRG. All right, now we've really gone down the rabbit hole. By the way, uh, I, I already, I've already did, I've already done some looking. Uh, so turnkey ZRG. I don't know what you're looking for, but what I looked for was it doesn't look like they've had any previous relationship with UCF. They actually do have a um, have like a uh, um, a crawl of all of the collegiate teams that they've actually worked with, and UCF is not on that list. So uh, this would apparently be a, a new organization that's helping UCF. Um, well, I'm seeing Southern Cal. I'm seeing LSU. I'm seeing Alabama. Yeah, big I'm name. seeing the New York Giants. I'm seeing the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I'm seeing the Washington Nationals. Yeah, Michigan. Hey, look at this. They probably they probably got Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. <laughs> hey, all right. What if they get a UCF? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Temple is in here. All right. So hey, all right. Turnkey ZRG. So let's. Let's see how that. Let's see how it works out. Uh, I was look, I was looking at their roster, and I, I don't recognize anybody. So, but again, but again, don't it's a fans. This this does not mean that the AD is imminent. <laughs> right. In fact, maybe quite the opposite. <laughs> take a break. This is going to take a little bit, like a little bit of time. We'll we'll get there quickly, but like you don't need to like scour everybody's Twitter handle. For the next couple of days, like yeah, you know. especially these poor people on the search firm, just stay away for let them do their work, please. Cows, um, throw in one thing here at the very end. Uh, there is actually something to watch uh, that involves UCF athletics more than I guess just the the people who are the athletes who are here, the athletes who have gone to the next level. Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson play yeah. in the Reese Senior Bowl. This Saturday uh, afternoon on NFL Network coming up, uh, they've been holding practices throughout the weeks, uh, a lot of 11s on 11s and one on one. They've been killing it in practice, especially today, right, Murph? Yeah, so Richie got a couple of picks today in practice and kind of has showed out. He's been lining up both safety and corner. Uh, Aaron Robinson's got a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, accolades for his physicality at the line and just sort of the mentality he plays with. Uh, people have obviously noticed Richie Grant being a 
massive ball hawk. Um, so it seems like both those guys are are doing themselves some good down there in Mobile. It's always kind of dangerous and kind of sketchy to like, you know, overinflate a good week in practice here, uh, especially this year, uh, to what it means to their draft stock. Like, don't get too wrapped up in that. Just just know that it's good to see them, you know, playing very well against, you know, the top seniors in college football. It's it's good exposure is what it yes. is. Whether or not it affects how high they get drafted, I don't know. Although I did see Aaron Robinson was slated to go like late, late, late first round, which I Mel think a Kuiper. lot of people were like, yeah. yeah, Mel Kuyper had him, I think, going third. Yeah, Daniel Jeremiah also had Aaron Robinson. I think yeah. Daniel Jeremiah had Aaron Robinson going 30 to the Bills. Uh, great. It's also meaningless. Um, Come on, Mothra. we love well, well, no, no, I think I think this is this is the takeaway. I think they're on, both of those guys are very much on a lot of teams' radars. Absolutely, yeah. but I don't want to get. I don't all of a sudden want people to get like this, like the oh, they're like locked in the first round, like because of the way this year is going to be set up with no combine, a lot of individual workouts, a lot of Zoom interviews. Um, a lot like have, last year. Well, no, because we had a combine last year. Oh, that's true. We that's had, true. That's right. We did have a combine. And so there were a lot of individual workouts in March that were, you know, socially distant. But we had a combine in Indianapolis. That will not happen this year. So all so what you're going to see is a wide range of outcomes across the board, team to team. And it's really going to depend on how teams uh, scout tape, scout game film, which really it always should be. You know, the combine is really there for for scouts to sort of make sure what they saw on film is really true in real life. But the real value of the combine is to get is the interviews, the, the 40 and the shuttle runs and all that stuff like, it, you know, it, it's flashy and stuff, but it shouldn't make a big difference in a player's draft stock. What you need to see is these guys actually playing against players in live action and performing well. But because we're not going to get as many interviews with players, they're not. They're going to be really spread out. Again, the workouts for lesser-known guys will be, you know, in you know individual settings where they might get a couple people to show up. Um, you're going to have obviously some guys at the back end of the draft, you know, probably fall under the radar and not get drafted. But there's not going to be a lot of groupthink for this draft. I don't think at all. I mean, obviously we know who's going like one and possibly two. But I, I think you're going to see all mock drafts absolutely, absolutely not be worth any salt, uh, any of their salt come draft night because my, the, the evaluations are going to vary so drastically. My, uh, my mock draft would just be 350 spots with a shruggy emoji. I mean, that's, how, that's pretty much how it's going to be. <laughs> Can we do a black and gold banneret mock draft since we kill? Like, no? We, can we? Can we I really it? not like to do that. Richie Grant. <laughs> Go three. No? No. Please, please don't. <laughs> well, hey, please don't make Eric, me do that. <laughs> Eric, what do you what do you want? You want Devonta Smith at three or do you want Richie Grant at three? That's tough. That's tough. I'm gonna <laughs> give the slight edge. I'm gonna give the slight edge to Devontae Smith because we kind of need somebody to catch the ball from Tua or Watson, whoever the quarterback <laughs> will be. And True. then, uh, but we could trade up to get Richie. Maybe Richie, uh, maybe Richie with the first, second, first round pick. How about that? But, but I, I mean, I've seen a lot where people certainly are, are thinking of Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson. Uh, well, certainly Aaron Robinson could, could be late day one. Certainly both could be day two prospects. But don't fall in love with the mock drafts. They're really not going to be worth anything this year. Just know that, like, they are a guide point to know that they are at least well thought of among the scouting community. 
But um, but I, I can see I, I could see Todd McShay's here on my ESPN Plus plan here. Come on. Yeah, what he what he say? Uh, actually, I don't have it on. Well, top for one of thing, that. He, he, I think he mixed up a bunch of guys today. Yeah, he so did. He really did. Yeah, really, it didn't go so well. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a shame. I, I like I like Todd. I really do like Todd. But you know, it's yeah. But anyway, if anybody, if, if if you don't have anything to do this weekend, and you're you know, and we won't, and if if you're not too busy uh, stalking Ole Miss offensive coordinators, uh, turn on NFL <laughs> turn on NFL Network at two thirty on Saturday. And uh, get to see Aaron and Richie ball out. All right. Thank you for that, Murph. All right. So let's wrap this thing up here. Don't forget to follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for your UCF nights. Uh, you can follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Don't forget to follow the rest of our crew as well, uh, bringing content to you all throughout the week for UCF Sports and what should be a very busy next few weeks as we await who the new athletic director is going to be, who the new head football coach is going to be. It's going to be wild, and we are going to be on top of it for you here on Black and Gold Banneret. For Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy and all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week.